You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Evil minds that plot destruction. Sorcerer of death's construction. In the fields of bodies burning. Machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Poisoning their brainwashed minds Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national and international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. This program is coming to you from the studios of 3CR in Melbourne. And thanks to Karina for putting us on and doing all the technical work to get us to the Community Radio Network. My name is Joseph Toscano. If you're wondering what anarchism is all about, anarchos without rulers. An anarchist society is a society without rulers, not without rules. What gives rulers the ability to determine the lives of billions of people, not millions of people, billions of people, inequalities in power and wolf. So the anarchist struggles, the struggle to devolve power, share power, and it's the struggle to hold wealth in common and use it for the common good. Exceptionally conservative concepts. But sometimes you need radical mechanism to achieve conservative concepts. If you want to talk about radicalism, giving somebody authority to make decisions for you over a fixed period or allowing some dictator to remain in power. Well, that's really radical, you know. That's really radical. That's abrogating your responsibilities as a human being and as a citizen of that particular sovereign nation state. Now, politics is a long game. And parliamentary politics in Australia is a long game. And sometimes it can take a few months, maybe a year, into the term of a, a new government to actually see what the opposition's long plan is because it is a long game and there's a long plan. And I'm fascinated, really fascinated, with the way that most of us have really not understood the Dutton-led Liberal National Party opposition. I mean, many people regard them as un Unelectable. Unelectable. Well, the fact is, they are exceptionally electable. And they're exceptionally electable because they've moved on that well-worn path of creating fear in the community. Conservative and reactionary forces in this country represent the 1% that own the means of reduction, distribution, exchange and communication have always used fear as their primary electoral calling card. Because if you can generate fear 
in a community. What that means is that you are able to ensure that people act in a way they might normally have acted. Think about it. If you're fearful of a particular situation, the way you act, in many regards, is totally different to the way you would act if you weren't driven by fear. So the long game, as far as the Liberal National Party opposition is concerned, is to create fear in the community. Whether that fear is warranted or not is irrelevant. What's relevant is to create that fear, that uncertainty. Now, as you know, the voice referendum is an exceptionally minor proposal. The only major proposal regarding the referendum is the fact that this new body will be incorporated in the Australian Constitution, which gives it long liberty. It's not going to threaten people's sovereign rights. It's not going to threaten people's backyards. It's not going to threaten their children. But the fact is that the Liberal National Party opposition, aided and embedded by a variety of voices, has been able to generate enough fear, enough uncertainty regarding this exceptionally modest proposal to start that long campaign back into achieving victory at the next federal election. Now, fear is driven by stereotypes. And one thing we're very good at in this country is accepting and promoting stereotypes. Whether we do it publicly or privately is irrelevant. What is relevant is whether we can create the threat of another, the other. And we've seen it used successfully for generations in this country to achieve political victory. And obviously, the Dutton-led Liberal Party and their fellow cohorts in the National Party are experts at generating fear. Those of you who are old enough will remember the Yellow Peril fear campaigns. And before that, we had the Communist fear campaign. And then we had the Asylum Seeker fear campaign, which was very well manipulated and managed by the Howard government. And if, and if, you know, all else fails. You've always got the good First Nations can to kick down the road. And these attacks are based on stereotypes 
which have really a very little to do with the majority of people within that particular group. And that's the issue. We saw a classical example of it in the robo-debt illegal legislation which was passed by Federal Parliament under Morrison. We saw how the leaners, you know, and movers philosophy, the fact that people who are on social security benefits are somehow not quite the citizens they should be, especially those on unemployment benefits and maybe many of those on disability support pensions. We saw how the stereotypes were kicked around, were discussed. We see it in the public housing debate. So fear. So what we need to do as individuals and as groups and as movements is actually combat that fear. When we saw Dutton talk about, about, was it five or six years ago, could have been a bit less, you know, the fact that we couldn't go to a restaurant because of the African threat in Melbourne, you began to see how easy it is with especially, especially with sympathetic media and considering that 75% of the legacy media and much of the virtual media is controlled by the Murdoch Empire, you begin to understand how easy it is to generate fear in the community regarding anything. And a community that is paralysed by fear is incapable of thinking rationally. And that's the dilemma. Will we allow our social life, our cultural life, our political life be dominated by manufactured fears which are based on stereotypes. And if we're willing to do that, nothing will change in the society. Nothing will ever change. And that's the dilemma that we all face, personally, individually, as members of family groups, as members of communities, as members, as citizens or permanent residents. Fear, fear, fear. The calling card of conservative and reactionary forces in this country. You're listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. My name is Joseph Toscano. Authoritarianism, the rising tide in 2023. You see, authoritarianism isn't just a product of authoritarian governments that are not elected. Many elected governments promote authoritarianism and what we've seen in the last 10 years is so-called democratic governments which are based on representative democracy not direct democracy but representative democracy using the state power in order to entrench 
themselves in power and entrench their ideology. Now, classical examples are the United States, Turkey, Israel, and these are so-called democratic states where the people elect their representatives. We see this rising tide in India where we have a national nationalist government which promotes its religious ideology as a, a primary part in, of its philosophy. Well, it is its philosophy. So around the world, we are seeing authoritarian tendencies increase and legislation being put in place which removes rights. Now, obviously, we don't have that problem in Australia because we, have no, we don't have a Bill of Rights in the Australian Constitution, so obviously Parliament can do what it likes. And in Australia, we've seen this increasing levels of authoritarian rule through legislation. All you have to do is have a brief look at Australian legislation to understand that this authoritarianism is growing. And authoritarianism is about centralising power and ensuring those who exploit our resources for their personal wealth continue to exploit our resources for their personal wealth. It is an issue. It's an important issue. Even in dictatorial regimes, we're seeing more and more power been entrenched in fewer and fewer hands, whether it's the uh, military dictatorship in Myanmar, Sudan, whether it's the religious theocracy in Iran, whether it's the feudal theocracy in Saudi Arabia, we have seen this concentration of power. Not only have we seen the concentration of wealth over the last 40 years, by that 1% that own the means of production, distribution, exchange, communication, we are now seeing the concentration of power, not just in dictatorships, but in governments which are democratic in name only. And to a large degree, as I said before, this authoritarianism is driven by an ideology which is based on generating fear in the community. And in many regards, in many regards, this fear is manufactured, totally manufactured, and there's no basis in reality for it. So we do live in interesting times. It's an old Chinese curse. You, know, you don't say to people, you know, go break your neck, you say... I hope you live in interesting times because interesting times means instability. And there's nothing more unstable than an authoritarian regime in terms of people being able to freely associate, freely speak their minds, and the list goes on and on. So it is a evil. That's right. It's an evil because, you see, the more... Power is concentrated in fewer and fewer hands, the greater 
damage that can be done. We saw this in the Pol Pot regime. We saw this when Stalin controlled the Soviet Union. We saw it in nasty Nazi Germany. We've seen it in the United States of America in its foreign policy, and the list goes on and on. And if you, you know, the fact is that if we don't openly confront it, as we confront the politics of fear, all we will see is an increasing acceptance in the community of authoritarian uh, solutions, in inverted commas, in order to pacify people's manufactured fears of human stereotypes. And the fact is, these stereotypes are not necessarily based on race or gender or a sexual orientation, but they're based on that essential inequality, the essential struggle between the powerless and the powerful. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the community radio network. Sometimes I despair. Team Australia. I despair. Now, look, I've got nothing against the Matildas. I'm sure they're all wonderful human beings. Many of them are professional athletes. Most aren't, you know. And obviously... Sport is important in this country. But it's not as important as people think it is. Because the tragedy in Australia is that the only time we seem to be able to get together as a unified whole is when a sporting team that's got the Australian label is doing well, and that's the key, is doing well in competition. Now, obviously, sport's difficult. And what we have today is akin to the gladiators of old. We have professionals. And what we've seen is that women's sport, in those areas that can be monetarised, is being professionalised. The same as men's sports being professionalised in those areas that can be monetarised. But so much energy, so much joy, so much happiness about defeating somebody else is extraordinary. Now, people are paying good money to watch this stuff. Even if you watch it on free-to-air TV, you know, the company that actually has bought the rights has paid good money for it. And FIFA isn't some charity. You know, it's a, one of the largest corporations on the planet. Now, I, don't, I do not want to be a Christmas Grinch here, and I wish the team all the best. But... Really, what could we do as a people? What could we do as a people if this energy was directed, this huge wave of euphoria 
was directed at the problems, at solving the problems we face as a nation. We'd be unstoppable. We would be unstoppable if that same energy was used to tackle childhood poverty. If that same energy was used to tackle inequality in our society. If that same energy was used to tackle the housing crisis. And the list goes on and on. Team Australia. We've got a public holiday for a horse race. We have a public holiday for an AFL football final. If the Matildas get to the top of a heap, we'll have a public holiday for a football match. But when it comes to having a public holiday for things that matter, we don't actually have a public holiday. We'll have a public holiday to abolish child poverty. I know sport will be always with us, and especially that type of sport which is promoted by centralised authorities to fill their pockets, and whether it's women's sport or men's sport or whatever, the fact is that professional sport is about generating a profit, not just for the people playing the sport, but all the people involved around that sport. And the good thing about the Roman Empire the fact is, as far as the plebeians and patricians were concerned, not the slaves, it was bread and circuses all round. Bread and circuses, 208 public holidays, subsidised housing, subsidised food for the plebs in case they wanted to revolt. But in 2023, we only seem to have the circus component of the bread and circus, uh, uh, how shall I put it, ideology, Embraced in this country. Wouldn't it be wonderful we had the same energy, the tens of thousands of people out there on the streets pushing for a universal basic income? Think about it. I noticed that the federal and state governments have come up with a policy, both for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders and the rest of the country, regarding family violence. I mean, one way of tackling family violence is to give people the opportunity to escape through a universal basic income. No discussion of a universal basic income. It could be the greatest mechanism via which to three people from the situation they may find themselves in. So, Team Australia, we wish you all the best. But uh, hopefully 0.01% of you who are jumping up and down regarding a football match, could be encouraged to join political and social movements, cultural movements, which are advocating a which are advocating holding wealth in common and advocating uh, a different type of democracy based on direct democracy, not representation, but obviously we can only dream. Now, tonight, 
That's right, the 16th, if you listen to this program, on the 16th of August. Now, I'm going to do the impossible, and most likely I'll not succeed, but we'll give it a bill. Now, all year I've booked the third Wednesday of the month to do a little talk about an, an interesting subject with a historical background um, at the Footscray Hotel, which is at 48 Hopkins Street in Footscray. Now, tonight, I have a little talk organised. Freedom Ride, the Constitutional Freedom Ride. We're actually looking at the history of the Australian Constitution, looking at freedoms and guarantees in the Australian Constitution, looking at the amendments, you know. And uh, I've decided I'm not going to cancel, although it's held in a pub. That's right, and obviously there'll be lots of people there watching something more important than the little discussion about the Australian Constitution. But if you're interested, it will go ahead. I'm not cancelling for anybody. 6.30 for a 7pm start. See you there, and if there's too much noise, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll work something out. So tonight, Freedom Ride, Constitutional Freedom Ride. If you're in Melbourne... Footscray Hotel, 48 Hopkins Street, Footscray, 6.30pm gathering, 7pm start, should finish around 8, 8.15, maybe 8.30 at the latest. You can still catch most of the match if you're that way inclined. But I've got this nasty suspicion not everybody is interested in sport. We'll find out tonight. Let's move on. This is the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. My name's Joseph Toscana. This program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. Now, considering the hullabaloo about a, uh, a few football matches, the fact is that there's been an international security conference in a Moscow now, this international security conference has been going on since, well, this yearly since 2011. I think this is the 11th International Moscow Security Conference. And we've heard very little about it anywhere in the corporate-owned media and the government guild at ABC. You may not have even heard that it just ended yesterday. Now, over 80 nations, that's right, over over 80 sovereign nation states, which represented, I think, more than 70% of the people on this planet, attended the International Security Conference despite the war between Russia, despite the war that Russia launched on Ukraine. All right? Despite, and that's the key word, despite. And at this International Security Conference, we had you know, defence ministers from China, South Africa, that's right, China, South Africa, here in Russia, India, Indonesia, Myanmar, believe it or not, to name a few, in Moscow, trying to create a new world order. And it's interesting this is a meeting of over 70% of the world's population, irrespective of what you think of their governments, 
irrespective. A meeting of people who represent about 70% of the world's population in Moscow, which is looking at international security. It's the New World Order meeting the rules-based order head-on. Now, one of the most popular phrases, which is used by the West, the representative of democracies, is a rules-based order. And you think to yourself, whose rules and why? And the rules-based order is basically... That's a bit of a tautology. The rules-based order revolves around so-called Western democratic countries or countries of Western democratic values, in inverted commas, placing rules on the rest of the world regarding mainly trade, free trade. That's why it's a rules-based order. Rights of passage, and the list goes on and on. But this rules-based order is not a universally accepted fact. And now we have the creation, or the beginning of the creation of a new world order, meeting the rules-based order, Head on. And what does it mean for you and me? It means lots of trouble. It means more centralisation of power. It means fewer and fewer people determining the fate of hundreds of millions, if not billions of people on this planet. It's a real issue. A huge issue. And it's quite extraordinary that we haven't heard anything about it. Because when you discuss, listen to things, read, watch in Australia regarding the Ukraine-Russian conflict, you would think that the Russians were a total beyond-the-pale pariah. The fact is that 80 nation-states, including South Africa, Indonesia, India, countries that you wouldn't normally expect to attend these conferences have attended. Extraordinary. Fascinating. We are, we are about to see a major shift on the planet, not just due to the climate emergency, but due to the increasing concentration of power and wealth in fewer and fewer hands. And if one thing, the rules-based order and the new world order or the new authoritarian world order have in common is the fact that they both support the centralisation of power as far as the new world order is concerned and the rules-based order, the concentration of wealth. It's a titanic struggle and there will be collateral damage. And talking about collateral damage, let's look at food security in the world today. Food security. Now, obviously, you may be bitching to yourself when you go into your local shop or 
supermarket about the price of things on the shelves. But in the majority of cases, about 90%, you'll be able to get what you need to survive. Of the 8 billion people on the planet today, about 10%, and that includes Australians, and that's why we've got all these food banks around the place, about 10% of the world has issues regarding hunger, issues regarding enough food. It's not just a third world problem or a developing world problem, it's also a first world problem, if you like to call ourselves first world. And currently we are seeing two things happening which have extraordinary implications for the world over the next two to three years. One is a manufactured crisis, and that's the war between Russia and the Ukraine, where we are seeing the supply of wheat, which is a staple commodity in over 50% of the world's um, population, as far as their diet is concerned, becoming an issue. In terms of getting that wheat to the places it should go to or has historically gone to, to avert starvation. Because there are many places in the world where there isn't enough production to provide for people's basic necessities and they rely on imports of basic commodities like wheat to manufacture bread in order to survive. Now this, obviously, this problem is going to be compounded by the climate emergency as we see more and more so-called natural disasters occurring and we see this constantly. But at the same time, I think for the first time in over five decades, we've seen a similar problem emerge with the rice market. Now, most of the rice which is produced in the world, which sustains, again, over 50% of the population as far as a, a basic staple in their diet is concerned, is actually produced and consumed in the same area, okay? But there are significant parts of the world which need to import rice. About 11% of the rice which is produced around the world is exported. And this rice provides a lifeline to hundreds of millions of people. Now, you may not have noticed, but the Indian government, which was responsible for 40% of the rice exports that occur in the world, of that 11%, 40%, has now put a ban on the export of rice from India because of their depleting stocks and the fact that they've got over 1.1 billion people to feed, it becomes an issue. So obviously the government of the day has done what it thinks it's right for its people and it's banned the export of rice. But this has a flow-on effect to many other people who need that rice to survive. Now this is not just a matter of war as we see in the wheat market, but this is a matter of changing climate conditions.
it's a matter of getting the right fertilizers for rice, which needs a lot of it's a, a nitrogen. It's a crop that needs a lot of nitrogen, and a lot of that ex, is exported from Russia. So there is that there is that war component. So once again, for the first time in generations since the sixties, we are facing the possibility of hunger on a scale we have not seen since the Ethiopian famine. It's an extraordinary situation to find ourselves in. And while we're waving our scarves regarding a um, football game tonight, maybe, maybe, just maybe, we could reflect on what this means for us as well as the rest of the world. Because when you've got a shortage of a product in an economy which is based on, you know, private investment for private profit, what that means is prices escalate and prices for wheat and and rice have already escalated by about 20% in the last month or so. That means that many people, although they may actually have access to rice and wheat, will not able to be buy those products because they don't have the disposable income. You're listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. That's 3cr.org.au. Right. Now, let's move on. Now, I'm really fascinated. You know, Australia. I've always noticed we're very concerned. And we're very concerned about human rights violations in Russia and China, and Iran, and North Korea, and Myanmar, and occasionally, very occasionally, in the house of Saudi and Saudi Arabia. We say, well, that's good. Yep, we need to call that out for what it is. It's not nice. But what about West Papua? What about West Papua? 70 kilometres from the Australian coastline. 500,000 people from a population, indigenous population of less than 1.2 million died directly and indirectly as a result of the Indonesian occupation of the archipelago of West Papua. Troops that are trained in Australia an indigenous resistance which continues in the mountains of West Papua. Where over 100,000 people from a population of less than a million have been forcefully dislocated in the last few years. I'm sure Mr Albanese and I'm sure Mr Morrison, you know, raised the issue of human rights with the Chinese government 
But I wonder if they've erased any human rights issues regarding what's happening in West Papua, privately or publicly. Not publicly. I mean, it's as if it doesn't exist. It's as if it's got nothing to do with us. And as I mentioned last week, if you go to a YouTube channel and go to Paradise Lost, which is a new documentary that you can find on, you know, or Paradise Bombed, sorry, Paradise Bombed. And you can see the type of armaments which are being used by the, by the Indonesian military, courtesy of the Australian military, against villages with sticks and stones. Now, I've been a convener of the West Papua Rent Collective now for nine years. Now, what is the West Papua Rent Collective? It's a very simple concept. It's Australians, that's right, you and me, citizens, permanent residents, who actually care, C-A-R-E, about what's happening in West Papua, our nearest neighbour, I've set up a rent collective. Now, it's a little thing. And I'm, I'm afraid we don't get the rich and powerful donating. We've never had the rich and powerful donating. We get people on pensions, old people, young people, people on unemployment benefits, people on minimum wages, donating $30 a month, a dollar a day, to pay for the rent in an office at 838 Collins Street in Docklands in Melbourne. And this acts as a de facto embassy for the West Papuan struggle and it helps to coordinate the West Papuan political struggle around the world for recognition around the world. We pay the rent. We don't tell the West Papuans how to run their struggle. Our goal is to basically ensure that they have a mechanism and a site from which they can conduct their struggle the way they see fit. Now, obviously, nine years is a long time, and obviously the move to West Papua independence has been a little bit slower than people would have liked, but it continues, and resistance continues in the highlands, and resistance continues in the United Nations and political enclaves around the world. But our government, the Australian government, is missing in action. Not only is it missing in action, it is assisting the very people who are involved in the destruction of West Papua. The very people. Actively assisting them, passively assisting them. Now, every three or four months, the West Papua Rent Collective holds a little gathering. That's right. There won't be the same number of people as at the uh, Matilda match tonight, I can assure you. We couldn't fit them all in. But what we have is a gathering where the West Papua activists talk about what's happening in West Papua, give us an update of what's going on. People involved in the Rent Collective come along just to see what's going on. It's a great afternoon. And the next West Papua Rent Collective Gathering is on Sunday the 17th of September. So if you're interested in what's going on and you find yourself in Melbourne on the 17th of Sunday the 17th of September, it's a 1pm start with lunch. 
Uh, if you're a rent collective member, it's free. If you're not, a donations are really, really appreciated, and that's the key, really, really appreciated. And you can hear from what's going on in West Papua, the uh, how the independent struggle is moving, has there been any progress, and you can meet my like-minded activists. Now, this is an office which is a fawn in the side of the Indonesian government as well as the Australian government. It is run by West Papuans, courtesy of Australians who are willing to donate a little bit of money every month in order to keep that office open. Every cent that's collected through the West Papuan Rent Collective goes to paying the rent. And, and to augment that collective pile, there's also an auction of handmade goods, paintings, blankets, you name it, which will be held on the 17th of September. Obviously, there'll be information about that thing. Now, you don't have to call anybody. You don't have to book. Just turn up. 838 Collins Street, Docklands. It's just next to the tram stop. Walk around the back. It's a nice area. Barbecue, lunch, interesting speakers. Doesn't cost you anything. You don't have to become a member of the Rent Collective. But isn't it about time that the issue of West Papua, the human rights violations and the struggle for West Papua independence gained at least the same interest among Australian people who don't even know where the West Papua is and the Australian government in terms of what's happening in this neighbour to the very near north of us. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. Now, I know sometimes you get a little bit bored by events which are occurring overseas or the climate emergency and you think to yourself, well, what can I do about it? Well, there's a few things we can do and a lot of people are doing them. Not everybody, but a lot of people are doing them and, you know, it's up to you what you do eventually. You can sit in front of your computer and watch all that porn or you can become a click activist or you can just lie in your armchair and flick channels and say to yourself, what's the point, what's the point, what's the point, nothing's ever going to change. Or you can do something about it because ultimately... It's not our political leaders, it's not our cultural leaders, it's not the celebrities, it's not our religious leaders. We are the people we've been waiting for. And if you're one of those people we've been waiting for, I encourage you to look at the Public Interest Before Corporate Interest website, PIBCI, P-I-B-C-I dot net. And if you're interested in getting involved with like-minded people, I encourage you to join. Currently, I'm the registered officer of a public interest before corporate interests. We've been lying a little bit low over the last few years, but it's time to break out once again and uh, put forward some uh, different, that's right, not alternative, but different viewpoints to the people around us. Now, inflation... I know you're all burdened by inflation. Inflation, inflation, inflation. And you know it's those pesky workers, we're told. A little bit like those pesky Social Security beneficiaries in the robo-debt fiasco. It's those pesky, greedy, ugly, 
horrible workies, workers, you know, those salary earners that are responsible for this inflation wage spiral. Well, guess what, boys and girls? Guess what? Australian wages have increased by 3.6% over the last 12 months, which is half the, infl- you know, the average inflation rate. Oh, so are you telling me there is no wage price spiral? We can't blame those disgusting salary earners for the situation we find ourselves in as far as uh, increasing costs for goods and services. Really? You're kidding me. That's broken every stereotype that, you know, I'm told every day. It's always the wage earner's fault. And then I think to myself, must be those terrible, terrible business owners that employ 5 million Australians, about, you know, 40%, small business. It must be their fault. And I talk to small business owners and they tell me rents are increasing, Government charges increasing. GST is killing us. I think to myself, oh, well, maybe inflation isn't due to them. And it's not due to those pesky workers, salary earners, because there's been no wage price spiral. And it's not due to those pesky small business owners, I'm talking about people who employ less than three or four people. So whose fault is it? What's going on? And then I hear about these massive financial sector profits. I hear that the average CEO salary calorie in Australia is $5 million a year plus perks and bonuses, $5 million. And then I hear that CEO salaries have increased by 15% in the last 12 months. And then I hear something which I don't want to hear because it destroys my faith in the private investment for private profit mantra which dominates every aspect of our existence that 70% of inflationary pressures are due to increased corporate profits. Can you believe that? And we pay the price. We're asked to pay the price. Increased rents. That's right. Increased taxes. We need to resolve the issue. It's your fault. Well, corporate profits climb astronomically. And then we're told, and then we're told that the public service at the state and federal level in this country has been colonised. That's right. Colonised. The public service has been colonised by the private sector who are making tons of loot from it you know from the public treasury oh look sometimes i wonder where i'm living but 
don't forget, we've got a football game. It's a nice diversionary tactic. We can watch the football. We can drape ourselves in the green and gold. We can jump up and down. We can be proud Australians, win or lose or draw. Well, there's no draws in semi-finals. Somebody's got to win or lose. You can't have a final, can you? So, it's up to you. I keep telling you that. It's up to you. You can have more of the same or you can get involved in activities for change. Now, just in case you're in Melbourne town tonight, the 16th of August, I'll be trying to do a presentation in a hotel pub of all places on a constitutional freedom ride. We'll be looking at the Australian constitution historically, what it's like today and any freedoms and guarantees in the constitution. 6.30pm for a 7 o'clock start. Hopefully we'll be able to go ahead despite all the people jumping up and down regarding a football match. Now, you've been listening to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the community Radio Network. This program has been streaming live on 3cr.org.au. That's 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. A few other programs you may like to listen to is Radical Australia on 3cr.org.au. You can write to us. Yes, we still answer letters. We get the occasional letters to Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. You can leave pleasant messages on 0439 395 489. 0439 395 489. You can email email us at anarchistage at yahoo.com or info at pipsy.net a few YouTube channels you may be interested in um, public interest before corporate interests uh, Toscano.nam n-a-a-n josephtoscano.nam and as I said before you can always leave pleasant messages on 0439 395 489 Thank you for listening to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station, courtesy of the Community Radio Network. And Kelly has arrived to save us from the embarrassment of going on beyond the allotted time span. Thank you, Kelly, for saving my soul. And obviously, I'll see you all down at the Footscray Hotel tonight, 6.30pm, for a 7 o'clock start and I'll be talking about the constitutional freedom right, possibly. Listen in next week on your local community radio station, courtesy of the Community Radio Network. Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction an analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World This Week, Australia's Sacred Cow Slaughterhouse. 10am every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning their brainwashed minds. Oh, larger.
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.